In this episode, seasoned family lawyer Susan Tay interviews forensic accountant Wan Yu Fai from Strict Strategies Private Limited on how numbers tell a story. Listen to why a forensic accountant could be your first port of call, and how their expert opinion could be the deciding factor in he said she said disputes. With almost thirty years of experience, Yufai's words of wisdom are not to be missed. Yufai's firm is one of the first five affiliates of Practice Forty Advisory. Let me give you a bit of Yufai's background. He is a certified public accountant with a special focus on forensic accounting in matrimonial assets. He started his career in forensic accounting in nineteen ninety two, but I think his forensic training really began when he was. Asia Pacific Regional Auditor for U.S. Government U.S.Aid Program. Yufai has been appointed an expert witness in various litigation cases, mainly in matrimonial cases, but also in shareholders' disputes, including that of family businesses. Over the past twenty odd years, Yufai and I we've been working together since then. Yufai has also been engaged as a case consultant with numerous law firms, so it's not just us. In the course of his engagement, Yufai has provided court-approved valu- valuations of multiple businesses, and his experience in the commercial world includes that of managing his own construction business for fifteen years. He is a sought-after trainer and has lectured in financial institutions of higher learning. So, Yufai, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Now I've given、uh, a bit of a mouthful on your background. Do you have anything to add to that? I guess、uh, when we talk about the、uh, USAID、uh, regional auditing that I used to do, that actually was the one that set the background because in an environment like that, you would come across、uh, many unusual transactions. Many of them are fraud-like. And、uh, you would be exposed a lot more there than you would be in Singapore because we were doing our work in India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, you know, in the borders of Afghanistan, Philippines, Indonesia, and all these places. So、uh, you're talking about a lot of money that's being disbursed, and、uh, and、uh, you're talking about high risk environment. Yeah, so you would see more in those places, and、uh, that actually set the stage、uh, for me to do this later. Yeah, in those kind of work, I guess it's called U.S. aid because they are money from the U.S. to these countries、uh, as in the form of aid. So I guess your job was to go there and make sure that the aid were properly disbursed, you know,、uh, and that there are no fraud involved, you know, somebody pocketing the money, correct? Yes and no. I guess、uh, we 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 were going there to look at、uh, how the money was disbursed and whether it was disbursed for the program objectives. I think that was the main thing,、uh, as to whether the vouchers were properly kept and all that. To be honest, in that environment, once they give you a document, that's the one that they want you to see. The one that they don't want you to see, they will not show you. So, so you will have to do analysis actually to see what's beyond the number. It's similar to what the things we do now. Because my next question to you, Yufai, is. It's easy to look at the two words independently and go, "Oh, forensic accountant." But for most of us, we may not really know what is a forensic accountant. So, have you just described what a forensic accountant do? Yeah. So,、uh, maybe to draw a parallel will be easier to answer question. I'm sure that、uh, you guys have watched the TV series、uh, CSI. 
what what happens there is that you know a bunch of scientists they go to the murder scene and then they get evidence and then they try to analyze what happened on the day of murder and hopefully can figure out who did it. So there are certain features there that you need to consider and remember is that the scientists, they are not the witness to the murder at all. They just happen to have the evidence that is given to them. And from the evidence, they are supposed to construct and try and tell the court what happened that day based on what they have seen in the evidence. So I think for us, it's the same thing. You know, maybe we didn't witness the fraud. We didn't witness a lot of the financial uh, decisions uh, transactions that were happening at that time. What we only have is the evidence of what ha happened. And then from the evidence, uh, we try to construct and tell the court what happened on that day. You know, yeah. So I think if you look at it that way, then uh, many people understand the CSI one. But for us, it's CSI, but on the financial aspect only. Yeah, I mean, having worked with you for so long and your team, you really taught me numbers do tell a story, you know, uh, and that from numbers, which I think it is difficult to lie about numbers because they are historical, you can really, you know, construct what happened, correct? Correct. Especially today's information, it's actually a lot of the information, let's say if you look at your bank statement, it's not just a listing of what went in and what went out. Because if you actually look at the detailed list listing nowadays, you know, inside the bank statements, you will say where did the money go to, who was the payee, what is the transaction code, what currency was it in. So there's a lot of information in there which you wouldn't have last time. So basically, if the bank sends you something, the information is already sealed at that time and there's no way you can change it anymore. Yeah. So that's the big that's the big difference actually. So many other things as well. So if you look at a contract, right, you can fudge it. Obviously, if there's only one copy, you can fudge it. Even two, you can fudge it. But if the contract goes on your email and it gets sent to many, many people, then very difficult for you to fudge it anymore because you will have to fudge all the copies as well. And and uh and then you'll be caught, you know. So it's not so easy anymore. But of course, the fraudsters are clever also. They will do other things now. Yeah, um, because, you know, it sounds, it sounds like a fairly complicated process. I can totally imagine if you say, okay, you have to go through bank statements, you have to go through email. I mean, with this information, digital information, age web, it's just an onslaught of document attack. Okay, a person can get a thousand emails in a matter of, a week or a thousand WhatsApp messages and things like that. So that sounds like a whole load of things to go through by yourself. Do you need a big team to do this with you? No, you don't need a big team. Well, it depends on the size of your job. But uh, you need to be able to apply filters to the information that you are looking. Mm. You know. So for example, a husband will not cheat his wife on the day that he proposed to her, right? So... <laughs> Uh, you know, so if you go back to that time, the financial transactions that happened at that time maybe not so relevant. But if a husband has amassed a lot of money and want to divorce a wife, and then he's thinking about it, you know, maybe six months before he files the papers, that is a much more relevant time to look at all these transactions. So you have to filter, and then you have to look at uh, the motivation of a person as well. So if you are a husband 
trying to stop your wife from getting your money. So your interest would be to actually reduce the matrimonial pool. Mm. So the risk area will be reduction. It's not inflating it to make it look bigger, right? If you are supposed to sell your business to an outsider, then of course you want to make the number bigger. Mm -hmm. So what's your motivation? Is your motivation to make it smaller or is the motivation to make it bigger? So if it is just the motivation to make it bigger, then all the steps that you need to do to check if it has gone smaller, those steps you don't have to do. So you filter it out again, you know. So as, as and when you filter it out to a narrower and a narrower pool, then you really don't have to do so much. And of course, you won't score 100 marks if you do that because there will be some things that you leave out. You would be able to maybe find out for the, for the most part, all the low-hanging fruits, are the, the, the parts that are easy to get and the big numbers. Maybe you can get them. And then for the smaller numbers and the things that are very difficult to find and trace, then maybe you just have to let them go. Right? So it's a, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Unfortunately, this profession, at least in Singapore, I think is quite uh, at its infancy. It's quite underdeveloped. So if you, if you wanna, if you wanna get literature on how to do options trade trading, you know, you go to a bookstore, you can buy a book. But if you wanna know, like, okay, how how a person hides his money and what are the techniques that I use, then you will not be able to find this book, you know. So in that way, uh, the literature is difficult to come by. And uh, even even the cases that are in the newspaper, you know, they say that oh, this fraud happened and that fraud happened. But what accounting entry did they pass? What voucher did they use? How did they how did they make you think that it is A when it is B? Right? Correct. Those steps are not revealed to you in the article, you know. So so again, it's it's a very shallow account of what happened. A lot of it, right? It's just from your years of experience. I'm sorry to say this, but it's like that. So the Pakistani and the Indian and the Sri Lankan experience, it helped me uh, in that. So if you have some kind of a background that, uh, that you have seen these things before, then maybe you, you have a different kind of awareness in your mind, which others may not have. Yes, because it's related to my question. It as I listen to you, right? Oh, yeah, well, bank statements, I filter it. Uh, I look at past six months and I only look at this, uh, you know, uh, reduction instead of enhancement. Sounds like something I can do myself. So I was just wondering, and I think you have answered my question, whether any person can do it themselves, investigating, looking at bank statements. Well, it's not just the bank statements because it's also the financial state statements. You know, so let's say if you bank statement will just say that well you spend ten thousand dollars to buy these shares, right? Then after that you have to look at the shares, the valuation of the shares, and things like this, and that's happening outside the bank statement. So um, so in short, uh, the person who does this work needs to know how the numbers give birth. You know, like when you see a number in a financial statement, you know, investment stated at cost. What does it really mean, right? Investment stated at valuation, what does it really mean? So you need to know how these numbers are derived. Because these same things that they use will be the same things that will be misused. Mm. If you show you another another picture that they want you to see, which is different from what is on the on the paper that they are showing you. Correct. And and just for the listeners' um, sake, you know, if you have a, a 
case in court and you want to convince the court of something, right? It can be what you say, he say, she say, but at the end of the day, the credible evidence, if it comes from an expert who is in this field and have the credentials to support the experience, the knowledge, the skills, of course, the evidence from such a professional will be taken a lot more seriously, right? Yeah. Than say, oh, the wife thinks that it is like that, or the husband says that it is like that, okay? And especially if you are the party involved in the case, then of course there's some kind of, you're already, you know, not independent, yeah. right? And uh, your, your view could be a bit biased, right? Yeah, things like that. Okay, I'm going to go into a next series of questions relating to first court of call. Okay, and there are questions about why clients um, really look to you first, right? Whenever they have a dispute or where they are in trouble. But before that, I do want to ask you, how do clients find you, a forensic accountant? Where do they go? How do they look for a forensic accountant? Uh, so. There are three ways actually. The first way is uh, through through a friend or a friend of a friend. So it's all by word of mouth. Uh, the second way is a uh, referral from PF actually. You know, uh, we have this group pra practice, and then uh, the people within that uh, they will they will call each other, and uh, sometimes they will recommend me. You know. Uh, to come for a, a meeting and to just look at some numbers. Uh, so that's that's another way. Um, uh, actually, a third referral uh, is from other professionals, like for example, uh, my fellow accountants uh, who don't want to do this. You know, they want to do the regular work. Yeah, or maybe uh, maybe another law firm, or maybe another valuer, or somebody who just needs some consultation on numbers. And uh, that they are having difficulty with that. Yeah. So um, so these people, right, who look for you, the clients, who who are they? I mean, are they the the husbands, the wives, or are they the lawyers, or you know, who are they? Your clients? Uh, actually, it's all of the above. Mm. Yeah. So when they have a financial question to answer, or maybe a financial doubt that. Uh, they think that their case or their situation is affected by numbers and, and they don't really know what to do. Or maybe they have a num number, but, but they want to know how far they can go with it. Then, then they will call me. Do you know by now why you are first port of call for some of, this, some of these parties? When they're in trouble, why is it that they think, huh, when you fight, I will need to call him? <laughs> I don't know, but I think uh, I would think that uh, I I have been honest with them, you know. If it is bad, I'll tell them it's bad. And uh, if I look at the situation, maybe I can advise them on on some things that maybe they don't see. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what are the steps and draw from other case experience? Because actually, so let's say for example, I go to a law firm, right? Um, maybe they have a certain experience, but uh, I can bring some some experience from maybe another law firm, right, that I, uh, that I work with dealing with a similar situation. Maybe I can advise them, well, you know, if you try another method and it might work, you know. So, 
then maybe yeah. So there's some va- value add there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it does sound like people call you. Well, you're honest with them, therefore they can trust you. So you are, a, a, you know, a trusted advisor. It also sounds like they call you because of your knowledge and your skills and your experience, and that's always good to have because you know, as a lawyer, I I am fairly one-dimensional when it comes to sussing out a case. I may have experience with numbers before. Uh, actually, uh, in junior college, I was in accounting. <laughs> but, you know, that's like left behind a long time ago. But even then, I have to say, despite all my experience and my depth, uh, since I handle mainly family cases, when it comes to matrimonial assets uh, and assessment, I still find... Um, working with a, a forensic accountant invaluable because they always give me a perspective that I don't see and the knowledge and the experience that I don't have not, not acquired. Um, you find at this juncture, maybe you want to give us some examples of what you have done. Some cases, of course, subject to confidentiality. Don't need to name names or whatever. Okay, But maybe you give us some examples for our listeners to appreciate like, okay, what... What are the cases like? So I guess uh, maybe another another dimension that that uh, the lawyers appreciate, and I've been hearing it back is 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 the speed that we are able to to deliver a framework or or an indication to them. Because I think the lawyers now, I look at their timelines and 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 the demands of the court. Actually, the court has tried very hard to shorten the trial procedures and you know all the procedures leading to the trial so if we can give them the numbers quickly and do the risk assessment quickly actually you save a lot of time so maybe that's something i would like to add um, with regards to an example of a case so if you're talking about matrimonial ca- cases then um, uh, a very big part of it is actually the assessment of the matrimonial pool. Mm. And when you talk about the assessment of the matrimonial pool, then it's the manipulation of the data to try and decrease it so that it doesn't count as part of the division. You know? um, and uh, so one case I did, uh, which I remember quite well, was uh, this lady, she came to me and and uh, she was already almost in tears, you know. It's quite a tearful encounter every time. And um, uh, her husband gave uh, an affidavit say, saying that basically he's only worth a million. And since the marriage is relatively short, uh, the lawyer was advising her that maybe she can only get 20%. So that's hardly anything, you know. So uh, she, she wouldn't even get a simple HDB flat, you know, to house her daughter. So, uh, so we started to, to check and um, eventually, uh, after all the check, checking, uh, we discovered that actually his matrimonial pool is worth between 5 to 6 million. Mm. So in the end, she got about 1.3, 1.4 million, mm. which is quite happy. Mm. So for a person who, who bothers to suppress the value, then Normally, it's a substantial amount, mm. you know, uh, and that's the fact of life. Because if you bother to do it, then it, it has to be a big amount. And uh, I would say that from an initial declaration of, let's say, X, you know, 
for it to eventually become 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x, 6x, I'm not surprised. Mm. Yeah, I, I, cannot, I cannot tell you what the average behavior is because I have never compiled this data. I, I can only say that if you tell me eventually it's five times or six times, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Or two times or three times. It, it will land somewhere around there, I, I would think. Yeah. From, from what I've seen. I, I I can't prove this now, okay? But that's only from the cases I've done from my experience, and it has led me to a mind frame that I would not be I would not be surprised if I see it like that. Um. Yeah. So, what is the big biggest uh uh exercise for you? Like, what kind of what kind of numbers were you able to um discover? The kind of big numbers. I mean, are they really big? Big ones, ah, uh, uh, whoa! I think maybe from well, from uh, I've done one from fourteen million and it became sixty million. Mm. So that's one. Uh, yeah, maybe close to a hundred. I think I've done before also another one. Yeah, mm. yeah. Around that kind of range, yeah. But but I'm not talking just about the big numbers because there are the small ones too, you know, whereby it was only maybe like 100 and then it becomes 500, 600, or it's only 300 and it becomes like one or two million, you know. Mm. Yeah, so we have done those as well. So, I mean, five, 500 and 500,000, right? then it becomes one and a half to two million. I think we have done that as well. Yeah, I remember one case we did where the husband said, oh, I only have this HDB flat and then this HDB flat is only, uh, I got it because of inheritance. Do you yes. remember that case? And then eventually we uncovered that he has so many hundreds of thousands uh, that is stashed away in stocks and shares. And he had a big business as well. He and his mistress started a business uh, in a few outlets too. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. Um yeah, because you know, you were saying you were saying that from your experience, right? Most of the time it goes to four times, sometimes five times, six times, you won't be surprised. But but then in what circumstances will you tell will you be able to tell almost straight away that, oh, this one not worth fighting, not worth investigating? Um well, let me answer it the other way around. Uh, I think the first thing that I look at a person, see whether is it is he worth the number that is on the table. Is is the person's a lifestyle? Okay. Mm. Um. So, I'm not saying it's entirely conclusive, but you have to look out for a few things. Mm. For example, what car does he drive? Where does he live? Does he have another business, or does mm. she have another business? Mm. Okay. How many businesses, investment pro properties? So you look at all these things, right? I mean, if it is your regular wealthy businessman, they will have all these five things. And if they tell you that they're only worth two hundred thousand, then you better not believe it because it doesn't it doesn't work out that way, you know. So so you look at the person's uh, profession, lifestyle, what they have, and uh, you can kind of understand. Uh, uh, where where they would be generally like yeah. So if it doesn't if it doesn't match, 
And if you feel that the, the lifestyle quite match, you know, he is saying that he was, he's not earning a lot. But the wife, for some reason, at the point of divorce, you know, at the point of divorce, it's very easy to understand why we completely distrust somebody that we thought we knew for so long, right? Because maybe you found out he's having an affair. You're like, oh, how can this person be like that? And therefore, suddenly, you just don't trust him about everything, especially money. But, but with an independent expert like you to come in and then you look at the circumstances and you actually can then tell the client, look, I know you are not trusting your husband right now, but looking at these circumstances, I really don't think he's hiding or if he's hiding, he's probably not hiding very much. Mm. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Very good. Um, right now I want to explore some questions on, uh, Independent expert versus financial consultant. I think this is a this is a, you know a, a definition that is sub, very confusing, right? They engage you, they engage a forensic accountant, is it, and then they pay you, but yet you are supposed to be an independent expert, and sometimes you are engaged as a case consultant. You think you can a little bit let us know. What is the difference? Or let the listeners know what is the difference between these two roles? As, as an expert, uh, you are bound by uh, Order 40A of the Rules of Court. And uh, down there, uh, it's written very clear, clearly that you have to be ob objective and independent. And the reality is this. Okay? The reality is there are only 20 over high court ju judges in Singapore. You know, if your case goes to the high court and you're a lousy expert and you're a bias, before long, your reputation will go down very quickly. And there are not that many people, you know, in the cha chambers. And uh, once your name gets around and it's there, it's really not worth any amount the case one person is paying you. So, so you just got to stay independent. As for financial consultant, then you can be, you can take the side of your client and uh, try and work with your client, uh, maybe a way how to gain advantage for themselves and things like that. Which as an expert you can't actually, yeah, you're just supposed to look at the evidence and tell the court the story. So as an expert, your audience is actually the court, and uh, as a financial consultant and things like that, then. Then your audience can be the lawyer, your clients, yeah, right. uh, whoever is appropriate. So if I can liken it to say an auditor, I mean auditor also we pay our auditors to audit our accounts, but yet this auditor is an independent person. The duty is to report what is honest, true and fair, yeah. And so that's quite like a forensic accountant, right? Yes and no. Uh, it's quite light because you have to stay independent. You have to stay objective. Um, but for a financial auditor, uh, for your statutory account, it's always the same objective, right? Everywhere you go, you are just supposed to say whether the accounts are true and fair and whether the books have been kept in accordance with Section 201 of the Companies Act. Okay? But uh, as forensic accountant, then your objective is actually instructed by the instructing lawyer. Mm. What, what, does, what does he want from you? Are you supposed to value the matrimonial school? Are you to only value certain things? Or are you supposed to comment on 
how the business was conducted over this period of time. It can be it can be many things uh, that that uh, that the instructing solicitor wants you to do, and the objectives change from case to case. Yeah, importantly, I think most of the time we are interested in finding out whether one party has dissipated money or the asset. That's quite common objective. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so I my advice to the people who are in financial difficulty or has financial issues, um, I know it's hard to do, but you have to change your mindset a little bit. First, instead of just shedding tears and get all emotional over everything and cloud your ju judgment, don't do that. Collect evidence. Okay, that's the main objective. Evidence can be from telephone, from uh, internet email, from bank statement, from letters that coming to, that have come to your house, collect, collect, collect. Because you may not think that it is relevant now, but it might be relevant later. And I've seen this many times, whereby some evidence was adduced along the way that helped me in my case to come to a good conclusion for the person. So you have to just collect evidence, come to us with evidence, show us what you think, you know, and. Uh, we may be able to see much more than you think we can, you know. But then, for you to to want to go somewhere, you have to trust your vehicle. You have to trust your car. You know, you you go into your car, you start the engine. You trust that your car will bring you there. So when you come to us, we are also like your vehicle, right? You have to trust us that we can bring you there. Because if you don't trust us that we can bring you there, then you have to walk there yourself, huh? And I don't think that you will make it. So, so the mindset must change. You know, just just don't get all desperate and don't go and talk to the wrong people. You're just wasting your time. You know, you don't go and talk to your. And I don't mean to sound condescending, but but you don't go and talk to your other friends who have no knowledge of finance. You know, you talk to your another per person who is a creative director of a company, and then you pour out all your heart and you wasted two hours. Having tea, you know, don't do that. Collect your thoughts, talk to the correct people. You get to where you want to go faster. And uh, I think that's that's what I that's why I feel. I I understand there's a lot of emotion you have to deal with and all that. But at some point, right, you've got to get objective about these things. It's kind of like going to a lawyer. You know, sometimes it's the very first time you see a lawyer, and yet a lawyer is the receptacle of all your sometimes deep dark secrets and then why would you want to tell this one person you have met for the first time and as a lawyer who's been doing this for 30 over years in particular family work you know you you kind of and it's something that is so apparent yet you cannot train why because in that moment if you're honest and i think it's all about honesty and sincerity that client will be able to see this is a person i can trust right and in that moment i how do we, we tell people you know, that this is the person who will care for you, protect you, and, and someone you can trust. It's something that you acquire, you are or you are not, I guess, right? Yeah, but I think the tips that you've given about, okay, you know, uh, don't just stay calm, stay collected. If you have evidence, that will be fantastic. But a lot of people, when they first smell something funny, they think they don't have evidence. And I, I have a lot of clients. Yes, I think he is having an affair, she's having an affair, but I don't have evidence. They often think evidence comes in the form of a document, right? 
in law, sometimes evidence can come in the form of something you hear. Okay. Or, for example, when you talk about uh, how he has been living a standard of, you know, his standard of living, if he tells you he only has this, but actually he's suddenly buying a really fancy car, you know, things like that are also evidence, yeah. right? Evidence. Yeah. Right? Correct. Correct. So, recording is also evidence. Mm. Whether it can be admitted or not, that's another thing. But at least if we get it, we listen to it, then we know where to look. Mm. And then, you know, it acts as a filter again, right? Then we zoom in again on the area that we want to look at. Because I just want to let the listeners know that when you first start to think, okay, maybe I want some investigation, very often you will not have all the evidence that you okay. need. A lot of the job of the accountant or the forensic accountant and your lawyers is to go about getting these documents for you. Okay, yeah. so in the divorce process, there's this thing called the discovery process. And over there, we can ask the court, please make this person deliver up this kind of documents. Correct. And I also want to add that I've seen many times, you know, uh, a person will come to me and say that my spouse is very clever, you know, mm. uh, is very good at doing business and, you know, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to find anything because he does this and that and that and that. Uh, I have to admit now that, you know, a lot of these people, they are very intelligent and uh, they are definitely more intelligent than I am. Uh. The, the only difference is that this is the first time they are doing this, okay? Whereas for me and for my lot, my legal team, the people that I work with, uh, this thing, we have done it 50 times already, you know? And, uh, and every, I, I would say that almost every, every situation that you bring up, almost, not exactly every, but almost every situation that you bring up, we have probably seen something similar before. Okay, mm -hmm. and it's quite amazing actually. So I want to tell the listeners that, you know, if you think your situation is unique, actually you are not alone. Uh. This, this story uh, happened many times before and uh, uh, we just changed the name and then it's somewhat the same. You know? Yeah, so, so it's not, you're, you're, you're definitely not, not alone. And if we tell you that this can be done or it cannot be done, it is not based on your case. It is based on many cases that we have done in the past, you know. Mm -hmm. So it is not something flippant that we tell you as well. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got to bear this in mind. And uh, uh, yeah, so for the listener, if you're having financial issues, I think this is, this is quite comforting to know that if you come to us, we'll be able to at least tell, tell you more insight than what you think you can get, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can and just change your mindset collect the evidence. I think if you have done these two steps, you would have helped yourself a lot. You know, forensic accountant is like going to a specialized surgeon in some ways, right? They think that, oh, no, 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 I can't afford a forensic accountant. Or, wow, my estate needs to be very big, like maybe in the millions before I can go to a forensic accountant because they are expensive or they are, wow, you know, they only do complex work. But I have to say that in the last court of appeal case, right, user and user M, uh, you know, the husband declared that he only has $500 in the bank account. Yes. And after the experts went in, his own expert included, suddenly the matrimonial pool became something close to 
uh, $2 million. And the wife got back $1.2 million. Actually, it was three and a half million in the end, I think. Yeah, yeah. then in the, in, in the end, the wife got back one point. Or 1.3 or something like that. Yes. Yes. In fact, the bank account that was allegedly only worth 500 bucks became in the region of one over million or or close to one million. All right. So it's all because uh, this client worked with a financial expert, a forensic accountant, and of course the legal team. Right. Uh, And it it suddenly expanded the matrimonial pool by so much. So I guess what uh, the listeners will want to know also is that um, you know at what point do you think they should reach out to you to reach out to a forensic accountant right at what point do they say I need to see a forensic accountant when okay so in terms of a matrimonial case I think uh, that uh, when you realize that you know uh, your marriage is in trouble, and when you realize that he or she realizes that your marriage is in tr- trouble, that's that's when you have to start collecting the evidence. And when there is sufficient, or when there is a reasonable amount, that's when you got to come and see us. You know, yeah. So try and get a listing. You know, I think that's more important—a listing of like, okay, it's got banks, it's got house, what's the address. It's got business, what's the name? Mm. He goes to China very often. You know, and all these overseas trips, right? So far, I, I can tell you, you would think that, wow, this guy is so cle- clever and he owns everything around the world. But the reality is that, you know, no, normally these people, they only have two or three play, play, playgrounds only. It's not so many. It's not the whole world, you know. Nobody does that. You know? So... Yeah, and, and, and in this part of the world, there's a high chance that it is in a Commonwealth country or a neighboring ASEAN country. It's not so many, so many countries. Thank you so much, Yufai. I mean, this is such an interesting exchange I have with you, despite the fact that, um, you know, you and I, uh, your team and the OTP team have been working together for so many years. I still find fascinating nuggets from you each time you speak. So thank you so much. And But unfortunately, we've come to the end of this podcast. Uh, for our listeners, uh, don't despair. <laughs> I'm sure we will bring you five back for another topic because the, in the area of forensic accounting, there is uh, there are endless, endless topics that are very, very interesting. Of course, continue to watch this space for our next episode. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to check out our other episodes as we interview more of our professionals and understand why they could be your first port of call. For any inquiries, do contact our client care specialist, Sandra, at 6221-3009.